Hey everybody, welcome to Licked and Loaded. I'm Laura Desiree and listen up fellas, cause today this episode is for you. In my own discussions with some of you single guys out there, I understand that a lot of you are feeling a little lost on how to make the approach uh, with women today. You know, we're hot off the heels of the Me Too movement, uh, cancel culture, Ooh, scary cancel culture is very much a part of our reality. And of course, the social isolation of the pandemic is also uh, still bearing down on our confidence to go out and strike up interactions with each other. So with all of this in the air, I thought, why not spotlight a human being today who uh, is really making his life's work, helping you be the best version of yourself that you can, helping you unpack uh, masculinity and reassembling it to be a healthy relationship in your world. Joining me today, motivational speaker, podcaster, the sensational Dominic Cortuccio. Dominic, welcome to the podcast. This is Licked and Loaded. It's great to have you. Laura, like we've been such a long-term friends. It's it's amazing that after all that time, we finally be able to jump on the podcast together. I mean, we might make it to 24 hours of friendship. And that's <laughs> like a huge accomplishment for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you have a lot of short-term relationships, but I'm 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 here for the long haul. So by 7 p.m. tonight, that are that'll mark our 24-hour relationship. We'll have to celebrate, okay? This is like anniversary worthy. You know, I hope you got the reservation already because we're going out to celebrate. I'm down. You do truly fascinating work in that, in my perspective, masculinity has got to be one of the most stubborn and, and rigid forces in this universe. But your work is to, to better men. So to really dive in and wrestle with masculinity. Can you give our audience a full understanding of the work that you do? Sure. Uh, first, I think the first thing I just wanted to say is, Masculinity is not a four-letter word, um, and that, that may surprise a lot of people who have been listening because who are listening because over the last number of years the word has been really raked through the mud. It's been conflated with patriarchy and all these things that I think maybe over the course of our conversation today we can unpack. But I I'm a big believer in the work that I do in helping men to define their own definition of what masculinity is, what it means to be a man not rigidly defined, not based in traditional structures. Um, and so to get more specific, the work that I do is I run a podcast called The Great Man Within Podcast. I run a number of masterminds for men called The Great Man Within Masterminds. Masterminds are groups of men who come together to, for a common definite purpose. And what that means is the men that I speak with and attract to do this work are successful guys. You know, they have money, they have the families, they have all the things on paper that a lot of men have achieved, that have, have desired to achieve. But on the inside, they feel like something is lacking. Mm. They want something more, they want to feel, feel more meaning and fulfillment in their lives. And so they wrestle and grapple with what is my purpose? What does it mean to be a man? What kind of father? What kind of partner do I want to be? These types of things. And that came, um, you know, after years of doing my own inner work, which led me through a 12-step program and bottoming out and 
questioning my life. And so I'll leave it at that for right now to see if uh, there's any place in particular that you want to dig in. Yeah. I mean, can we go into your 12 step experience? That, that anywhere, anywhere yeah, that, you want. That was very, that was very interesting to me uh, as, as we were introduced in a conversation by a mutual friend, um, our mutual friend, Lisa Ann, actually incredible yeah. human being. Uh, and that was one of the first things that she brought to my attention is that you come from uh, one hell of a program. I'll let you, I'll let you do it from here. Cool. Okay. So that hell of a program is the Sex Addicts Anonymous program, which I was a part of from for four years of my life, 2013 to 2017. Now that is shocking to most people in my life because I had this, I had these like two carefully curated lives, my public facing Dominic and then my secret Dominic life. And I think a lot of men who are listening to this can really relate to having those like two personas and in my public facing life, I was this like, I, th I think I described myself to you last night as this squeaky clean leader that you could trust. And I spent 15 years in the corporate financial services world working for Prudential Financial Fortune 50 company. And I was the kind of guy who lived, you know, integrous. Mm -hmm. um, I, I said what I was going to do. I did what I said. People would follow me. I got a lot of great responsibilities at work. I was the guy you could count on in friendships and relationships. But there was this secret part of my world where I got to go and feel excitement, where I got to feel freedom, where I got to feel liberated, you know, like there were these parts of me and how that, and, and, and I think I delineated this to you last night, Laura, was I say the word secret life instead of private life very deliberately because privacy indicates some sort of like intentional discretion right? Mm -hmm. Like a discernment around what are my boundaries and who gets to see parts of my life and who doesn't. Mm -hmm. Secrecy is more about shame, right? Like if anyone were to see this part of my life, then they would retract their love for me. I'd be ostracized. I'd be criticized. Um, and, 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 and that's truly how I felt about this part of me that was maybe compulsive sexually, yeah. that may have fantasies that I was ashamed of, that would go after say women that I wouldn't want to be seen publicly with, you know, mm -hmm. as horrible as that is to say, like that, those, that, that was a reality and a truth for many years of my life and where it all came. And I can talk about the origins of how that came to be. Cause I think that could be really helpful for people. Well, you, you, you said though earlier that there was liberation and excitement there. So at what point do you say, but it's dangerous or it's overwhelming enough that I, I, I can't control my own participation within it. I need help. Where does your mind step in and say, we got to do something about this? Cause to me, fuck, if I'm feeling liberated, if I'm feeling excited, that's the shit I'm going to keep doing. I know, I know. And, and this, this is where, that's where the real conflict comes into play. So I think this is probably to answer your question mm. thoroughly. I think I have to give kind of the origin story. You have to. So, so like as a child growing up, I think I believe there are three major forces that define a person's sexuality. Um, and I call these the three F's family, faith, and friends. Hmm. So like your family unit, what, how did they, what was the stage in the environment they set for you to experience your sexuality? I grew up in a very loving home. My parents are very involved in my life. They're unbelievable human beings who are incredibly uncomfortable around sex and sexuality. Like perfect example, movie night, you know, we'd be sitting on the couch together. And then all of a sudden there'd be like a sex scene. My parents 
would spring off the couch and be like, no, and cover my eyes and the collective <laughs> sphincter of the room would tighten. And I'd be sitting there with like a little chub in my pants and I'd be like, I want to see that. But then the, the, you know, like the, the, the tension and the wrongness of that moment created this internal conflict. So I was like, okay, inside, I love this thing outside. I'd be punished for watching it. Okay. Yeah. Family faith. I grew up in a Catholic, you know, I went to seven years of Catholic school, altar boy, all this stuff, sex, you're going to hell. Yeah. So again, these amazing feelings when I see a Playboy magazine or, you know, anything, and then you're going to hell. And then the friends, you know, like when I was 11, 12 and 13, when the topic of masturbation came up, anyone who masturbated was a pervert, a pariah. Right. And other boys have very different experiences where maybe it's cool to be like the first guy. For me, it was, you know, I discovered masturbation and then I started hearing guys talk about it and make fun of everyone. Mm -hmm. So these three major forces where I would feel something inside, all of the environments, family, faith, and friends told me that there was something wrong. So I had to bury that in a secret world where I could feel that liberation, that excitement, but I knew I couldn't share it with anyone. And then you live you know, 20 years that way, two yeah. decades that way. Then, then you know, it comes to this place where I can't show that to anyone, but I love it because it's the only place I feel really alive. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't know how to grab, I, I did not know how to deal with it. And the only way I was forced to deal with it was when I got caught cheating on the woman that I loved. And that's what sent me to the program. Yeah. And, and obviously through the program, you were able to make a bridge between that authentic side of yourself that's, that's curious and wants to explore those and incorporate them ethically into your life today. Would you say that yeah. that balance is there? hundred percent, Laura. Like, I, when, when those two worlds collapsed, the private and the, the secret and the, and the public, it was painful. Mm. It was, I, had to, I had to pay for a lot of the pain that I'd caused. I had to really do a lot of soul searching and look at like my behaviors and how many people, how many women I'd affected just from not being authentic. Yeah. And there was a lot of amends to be made. There was a lot of um, shame just through even looking at myself through that lens. But the commitment that I made in going through that process was, I never, never want to live a secret life again. Never. Not just because I didn't want to hurt people like that again, but, but I was imprisoned yeah. in my old life. Yeah. And so like, like one of my earliest steps of like liberation was when I, when that relationship that I went into Sex Addicts Anonymous ended, you know, like it, we, we, we tried for seven or eight months. We ended up having to dissolve that. Like my first real test was the first date I went on with a woman multiple times, the, the, the first woman I went on multiple dates with, I told her right away that I was in a 12 step program just to be like honest with her. Yeah. And she accepted me for that. And the more honest I was, I found that it led to sometimes like difficult conversations, but it was always something I could navigate through and eventually led to either an understanding or we figured out we weren't a good fit. Right. At least I gave her the choice. I was real. And so now like I'm willing and able to put forth sexual desires or you know, needs yeah. that may be rejected, but I can handle it now. And it's so much more authentic and real. Yeah, there's so there's such a, a benefit in making the approach to any kind of intimacy or any kind of togetherness with another human being and doing it with the honesty and, and, and with that communication. 
you know, because the longer you prevent having that honest discourse and that ability to do it, the harder it becomes. Yeah, Laura, like, I mean, you and I met for the first time last night, yeah. right? And we went to dinner together and I journaled about you this morning because yeah. one of my practices in journaling, I was just like, how fucking refreshing it was to just meet someone like you who is so open and authentic and real. And like, you put yourself out on the table and it's like, <laughs> here's who I am. And very quickly, I'm sure there are people who are kind of like, goodbye, you know, like I'm not into that. And they're, Absolutely. And then, and, right. But, but it's like, it's this beautiful, you give them the choice because yeah. you're not hot, you're not holding anything back. And then, and then there's people like me who are like, I want that, you know, like, I, I just love the texture you brought to the conversation and the play and the fun and the, and the realness. Yeah. That is something like what you've got. So many people have no idea how liberating it is to live that way. It doesn't come without its hardships. Right? Oh I mean, I'm God. sure you face rejection and criticism. Immense, <laughs> immense at times. But it's just like what I mentioned to you last night when I said one of the biggest uh, reoccurring exchanges I have with somebody is that they say to me, I, I want to meet the real you. I can't wait to get to know the real okay. you. And you know what would be really great is if I could spend time with the real you as if all this shit is a performance as if I, you know, blew a line of Coke and I'm saying showtime and stepping out <laughs> on the stage to give you the tap dance. It's like, there isn't another mode. I mean, there's a volume dial that goes down or up and, and you can, you can definitely play in that realm, but this is authentically me. And yep. this will be authentically me, even when you get me alone and you get to know the real me. <laughs> and I, and you know what? And, and, and I trust that. Yeah. That's the thing is like, it's so much, this is one of the pieces of feedback that I got from women. And they were like, you know, Dominic, as much as I like, I really admired a lot of the ways that you'd lived your life. There was something about you that I couldn't trust. And I couldn't put my finger on. This was my pre, you know, mm. Sex Addicts Anonymous days. There was like, there was always something a little bit shady about you. There's always something about, I couldn't get past this wall you had on the inside. Like, you know, people, even though I thought it was masterful at kind of keeping that stuff, um, like when people get close to you, they know. You can't, yeah. like, you can't compartmentalize. And as men, we've been taught compartmentalization, put your emotions here, put your feelings here. And, and actually one of the reasons why I developed this compulsive behavior was because it helped me to navigate loneliness, yeah. overwhelm, stress, anxiety. I didn't have meditation or breath work. I didn't know how to sit with my emotions. I didn't know how to express it to other people. Uh, I thought it was weak. So what would I do? I would just numb it out by jerking off. Yeah. You know, I would numb it out by working too much or find, you know, constantly avoiding being in places of stillness. Cause anytime yeah. I slowed down, then like the reality of myself and my life would come screaming up and that was torture. That's what happened to so many of us during this pandemic, right? It's like, Correct. I know myself, I started, you know, treating anxiety with an anti-anxiety medication. And I was like, what the hell? I've never been an anxious person, but for me, my, my addiction is like work addiction, but that's, that's a whole other, a whole other thing is I love being busy. And so when the world shut down, I was able to kind of sit with feelings and I was like, my gosh, there is a storm inside of me. So I think a lot of us are, you know, also dealing with that inability to sit still at times. Hell yes. You know, it's a Hell real yes. thing. I think, I, you know, it's really interesting in hearing you say, I never saw, never thought of myself as an anxious person. I'm like, I said the same thing. And the deeper I've gone into my inner work journey yeah. and I'll define, I'll define what inner work means in a second here. 
the more I've realized I'm a deeply anxious person, <laughs> deeply. And like, I even have brain scans to prove it. Like, yeah. like I've had like, you know, my brain mapped and like, I'm, I'm like three standard deviations away from the mean in terms of like hyperactivity in my brain. And, and, and I look at my compulsions. I look at, you know, my propensity to go extreme in my work. And, and I always dub that high performance. Same. Like, totally, right? And, and, and our world kind of labels it as high performance. But one of my favorite books is called King Warrior, Magician Lover. It's a great book for any man looking to explore his masculinity. And there's this warrior archetype that we all really relate to and aspire to, many men aspire to be. And what they actually talk about is really what we define as the warrior archetype in our modern society is actually a shadow warrior that's just compulsive, compulsively setting goals, crushing goals, workaholism, because underlying it is this deep anxiety mm. of I'm not enough, or I have to do more, or I don't want to be passed by, or I have to hold up, you know, live up to someone else's standard. It's actually fear mm. that's masquerading as high performance. Um, and, and when I had a chance to see that, I, I had to do some deep, deep d dissolution of that bullshit. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I have to go here just because it's a genuine curiosity of mine. How does Sex Addicts Anonymous work in a group setting? I mean, how? Yeah. Is it, is it not just what you think would happen? Like, how does that work? What do you picture? What do you picture? When you ask so that question, what do you picture? Passing notes. Passing notes, kicking each other in the foot, double bathroom breaks. Like, I, <laughs> I, I'm going to, I'm putting it out there. That's what I, that's what I would imagine goes on if it was a group setting was, hey, all of these people have a shared interest and our interest is, or our addiction is having this, you know, physical connection with each other. Yeah. I love asking this question about and whoever's listening right now. I want you to also ask yourself when you hear the term sex addict, what do you picture? You know, like, who do you think of? Um, do you think of like the, the guy in the trench coat at a playground? You know, do you think of right. a rapist? Do you right. think of Tiger Woods, Usher? Like, I mean, do you think of Russell Brand? Like, there, there's this like, huge spectrum mm. and this in this like kind of amalgamation of sex addiction and what it could look like. But there's a there's like a massive spectrum of behaviors. And um, and one of the reasons why I didn't go and get help for many years was because it, even when I started to think like, do I have a problem? Yeah. You know, like I'm traveling long distances for sex. Like I would get on airplanes to sleep with women who I didn't really even care about, like on a deeper level and then come back and I'd feel shame about it. But then I go yeah. and do it again. Like I would revolve a lot of my life around getting sex. And, but then when I would take these quizzes about, are you a sex addict? You know, some of the questions would lead to, you know, like, are you actually creating, doing criminal activities? And mm -hmm. I was never in that arena. It was always just kind of like compulsive a lot of my life. So I think that's the first thing I just want to put in there. And then the second thing around your question of what does a sex addict's room look like? I, I had this picture of just a bunch of kind of slovenly, gross, um, scum of the earth. Like these were my judgments. And I was a very judgmental yeah. guy before I ended up, you know, being humbled by walking into one of these rooms. And what I found was that in the rooms of Sex Addicts Anonymous, it was like 99.5% men, okay? And so there's another group called Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous where there's a lot more like around intimacy issues, codependency issues. Those tended to be more men and women. Mm. 
-hmm. And I never went to those meetings, so I can't tell you what that looked like. But sex addicts was like a real, a, my first real experience with a group of men who weren't competing with each other, who weren't judging each other. Actually, a lot of guys in the room were super high-performing guys. I'm talking about, like, especially in New York City, some of the actors mm. that, like, you see on television. I'm talking about some of the politicians that you see running big stage, stages of government, tops of businesses. My sponsor told me when I entered the program, he was like, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous is often a, an addiction of anger. Sex addiction is often an addiction of control right? Like wanting to control elements of your life and guys who have figured out control can actually be very successful in their business and in their life. Wow. Um, and I was one of those guys where control was one of my main priorities and my main issues. So in that room, there was, there was actually a pretty healthy mix of really high performing guys who were very genuine about wanting to help one another. Wow. In, in learning to control their libido urges, you know? Yes. So kind of where, you know, where we started to work was stopping what's, you know, stopping your bottom line behaviors, right? And bottom line behaviors for a number of guys could be they're watching porn all day long, right. like on their phone, um, or not even necessarily all day long, but like maybe five or six times a day, even during the break, uh, during like their work breaks, jerking off in the bathroom at mm -hmm. the office. Some guys like, you know, had, um, addictions to massage parlors, mm -hmm. you know, rub and tugs, happy endings, guys with sex workers draining their bank accounts, guys who are cheating on their spouses. Uh, there was a lot of that. And where a lot of us began was just like coming clean mm -hmm. with what our bottom line behaviors were. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was, I would, um, I, I was cheating on my spouse. I went after women who were in committed relationships, uh, which isn't something I, ne those two things were things I never thought I would do. You know, like I was always a man who had this like standard of lines I wouldn't cross. But slowly you start to rationalize. I rationalize like, well, I could do this. And well, she's unhappy in her relationship. Oh, her husband is having sex with her. So maybe I can. And also like having sex with a married woman was fantastic because I never allowed her to get close enough to me. And she was never, so I could preserve my inner wall. Yeah. All of that, and, and, and once I could start to see that, um, and the men in the rooms helped me to see that with their own stories, it was like, whoa, I'm not the only one. Wow, I'm not a pervert. Wow, I'm not irredeemable, you know, like, uh, or not redeemable, whatever it is. Uh, it really started to give me a new lease on life. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so much more about the person than it is about the actual sex. And that's me being, you know, an outsider to Sex Addicts Anonymous and sex addiction in general. I mean, it's it's been an education listening to your story, it really has. So you have these eureka, wonderful, you know, reclaiming moments in your life. How do you then turn that into, you know what, I wanna help guys. Yeah. I, I wanna help, I wanna help uh, you know, the brotherhood out there. Yeah, so what was really interesting, Laura, was like, you know, my inner circle, the people who were closest to me, um, when they started, when I let them in on what was going on in my behind the scenes world, and they could start to feel that there was like this thawing, you know, like I was becoming unrigid. My heart was starting to open. They could feel that I was no longer just this like intellectual dude, but someone who actually had emotions. I wasn't as robotic or rigid anymore. They could feel that there was this real growth 
they could feel me differently. Yeah. Um, and even people who weren't necessarily that close to me could feel I was showing up differently. And they were like, yo, what are you smoking? I want to take a hit of that thing. Right. And when I started to reveal what was going on in my inner world and really getting vulnerable with, I hit a bottom, here's what I'm dealing with. Going first vulnerably kind of creates this like, you know, the dam breaks moment in the other person. So almost every time that I shared my story about being in sex addicts, they opened up about a marital issue. They mm -hmm. opened up about erectile dysfunction. They opened up about cheating. They opened up about, um, you know, not being able to, they, they pop off too quickly during sex. Like there was just, or financial issues. It didn't have to even be related to sex. I just noticed that when I opened up, these other guys started opening up and had this huge desire to connect with someone in a real way. Here, here, Laura, this is one of the things I would love for you to hear and also your listeners. There's this prevailing bullshit belief that guys don't want to talk about their emotions. It's bullshit. But here's the truth. The conditions have to be set appropriately for men to feel like they're either allowed to, that they're safe to, or that they trust the person that they're opening up to, to actually reveal those emotions. And when I've, when I've gone first and I've shared, they realize that I'm not going to judge them, right? They realize I'm not going to spatter them with advice or tell them what to do. I'm just going to fucking listen. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden, they start to just reveal all the things that have been pent up. And when I recognized that this was happening every time, every time I opened up, then I said, I, needed to I need to take this to a bigger stage. And um, I had this co-working facility a few years ago in New York City called The Assemblage, where I started running these live events called The Discerning Dick, Sexual Wisdom for the Modern Man. Men and women, or however anyone identified, were welcome to come. And we talked about things like sexual performance. Mm -hmm. I revealed that I'd been in sex addiction, Sex Addicts Anonymous, publicly for the first time. Um, masturbation. We talked about all the things that most guys just do on their own. Yeah. And it became super popular. NPR picked it up and, you know, like brought me on their show. So it was, that's, that's where this all began. And then I launched a podcast to go even deeper with it. This, I'm calling it a kind of enlightenment, I guess. In my experience, I've noticed that this doesn't happen for men. They don't begin to think like this until they hit at least 40. What, <laughs> what is that? Like, what is it? Cause I have more and more, you know, um, I guess, single guy friends that I, I talk to that are, you know, in there, they've hit 40, they're in their early forties and I'm starting to hear them talk like this. Is yeah. it about like the same way that women have a body clock that, you know, starts telling them, Hey, it's time to hunker down, get serious, procreate, reproduce. Like, do guys have like a clock or something that just says, you know what? It's time to clean up this act. <laughs> You're such a smart woman. I, lo I love this insight. So one of my favorite podcast episodes that I've done on the Great Man Within podcast is an episode called Why Men Seldom Succeed Before Age 40. And it's one of our most downloaded episodes. And I, it was inspired by one of the greatest authors of all time, Napoleon Hill. Mm. Now, Napoleon Hill wrote one of, he wrote the very first personal development book ever written called Think and Grow Rich. And it's one of the top 10 most best-selling books of all time, along with like, you know, Lord of the Rings and, you know, totally. like, like Harry Potter and all that stuff. And in the book, he has a section called Why Men Seldom Succeed Before the Age of 40. Now, Napoleon Hill, you need to understand, 
he interviewed 500 of the world's most successful people, the Roosevelt's, the Rockefeller's, the Henry Ford's, King Gillette, Charles Schwab, JP Morgan. He also interviewed 25,000 people at the end of their lives who didn't live a life of purpose or meaning mm. and felt like they had regrets. I mean, you're talking about this man had perspective. Yeah. And the wisdom that he unpacked about why men seldom succeed before the age of 40 is because for the, the first 40 years of our lives, we are controlled by our sexual energy. We have not learned how to harness the power of our sexual energy. It's like we, like you, like you ever seen a, like a power line that's down and it's just like flopping around yeah, yes. or like a fire hose that fire fighters are not holding and it's yes. just like blowing, like blowing. Yes. <laughs> that's us for many years of our lives. And like, and, and we spend so much of this powerful energy. This is our life force potent energy and we get dragged around by it and we use all of that great energy either securing sex or going after sex or jerking it off into a kleenex or into a tube sock that was my life laura check this out I, like this is something i didn't tell you last night during sex addicts anonymous i told you this part i spent four years off of masturbation right four years off of porn and 11 months abstinent now in that 11 month period where i wasn't jerking off anything that sexual energy stayed inside my body for the first time in my life, right? And I was in a 15-year career in financial services where I was making really good money. I was on the tops of like org charts for like future. I, you know, I, I could have done a lot of great things in those places if I wanted to stay there. But when that sexual energy stayed inside of me and it had nowhere to go, I had to learn how to use that sexual energy for something other than sex. Mm. And it was during that time where these ideas and these dreams of wanting to start my own business, which I'd had for years, but anytime I would get excited about it, the nerves would kick up, I would jerk off and then like that energy would leave me and I would just continue living my same path. Yeah. When that energy stayed inside of me, well then I was like, I gotta go build this thing. And it was during that 11 month period where I was like, I'm gonna leave. Yeah. And I made that decision I learned how to build a business. I like, you know, I took online courses. I learned how to build a website. And then I left, you know, very shortly thereafter. So I would say without that period of learning how to harness my sexual energy, I would not be doing what I'm doing today. I might very well be living a path of more of the same, stuck in a job and a career that yeah. was just kind of malaise, you know, like a feeling of malaise. It's just thank you for fucking owning how absolutely almighty and all powerful this, this sexual urge is inside yeah. of us as humans. I know that people live a lifetime trying to deny the fact that they are ruled by their sex drive, their sexual curiosity. I mean, this is what I've been screaming at people about for what feels like most of my life is like you have to you have to spend some time understanding your own sexuality, exploring your sexuality, and, and really like knowing the, the full reservoir of that electricity mm. inside of you, because it can be put towards so much in your life. It's where our motivation comes from to do, mm. you know, whatever it might be to seek out in life. I mean, our sexuality is the most powerful force in our human existence. I, I believe that truly. I'm, I'm, I'm a thousand percent with you. And if you yeah. think about what sexual energy is, it is creation. I mean, yeah. it, you know, if you think about, I mean, like, of you know, we're sex, obsessed with it. 
Of course, right? And, 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 and Napoleon Hill talks a lot about the transmutation of sexual energy because you know, transmutation, tra- transmutation, you can think about it as transformation. Yeah. If, if you just use it in its base form, you know, it's been used to procreate. But that creation, that's, that, that's how our species gets propagated and we survive. Yeah. But if you take that energy and then you start to say, well, how can I use it to create my artwork? How mm. can I use it to create my next big business idea? How can I use it to create in the gym for extra workouts? I mean, like as a man right now, I, like I, I oftentimes practice, um, like I will, I will self-stimulate and instead of ejaculating, Mm-hmm. I'll then take that self-stimulation and I'll circulate the energy through breath work and then I'll use it to create podcasts. And you, you commented last yeah. night, like you have 250 episodes. Well, a big part of that is like when I'm keeping that energy inside, then I'm creating, but I also, I can feel, I can feel sexual interactions at a deeper level. You know, like when I'm at dinner with you and like, you know, you're doing your thing and you're out there sexually and you're all flirtation and innuendo, yeah. like that shit, I can feel not just in my dick, I can feel that in every, in every aspect of my body. I can feel it in my fingertips. I can feel the electricity across my chest. And I remember used to being so numbed by how much I would jerk off or by pornography mm-hmm. that you would need like a sledgehammer <laughs> to get through to me. And a lot of guys can relate to this. It's like, you know, they, they need to watch ridiculous amounts of porn or over the top porn. Uh, like even when they're having sex, they need to be thinking about porn. Right. And I, I remember what that's like, but when I was able to kind of back off of that, then my partner became so much more alive, Mm. you know, like her moans or the smell of her skin or how her hair falls across the pillow. These are all things that are highly erotic that, you know, when you're just consuming or, you know, fire hosing yourself with porn, you need something so extreme yeah. Um, a lot of guys don't even realize like what they've conditioned themselves. Yeah, know? And I know, I know that your work is specifically, um, with men, but just as a human that masturbates so regularly, I'm going to try like a day of just not and see if I can put that energy to something <laughs> else. But like, I, 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 I'm, I'm serious. I don't know if I can, I just don't know if I can. I'd be curious to see what I do with that. But I'm, for me, I'm like, I wonder if I'll just continue to be a ball of anxiety. That's interesting. So Laura, like I, you know, I, I don't want to get out, out of my zone of my domain of expertise, right. Which is really around men. Um, and, and there are, pl- there, there are plenty of other women who are much more qualified to answer that question, but I, I would get curious. Like, so I'll, I'll just drop a curiosity is, you know, if your fear of withholding the masturbation or like pausing it or mm-hmm. drawing it back, is that like the anxiety will dial up. Well, then I would get really curious about what is that interdependency between like, you know, your masturbation schedule, your, you know, how much it happens and the anxiety and is one being used to modulate the other. And, you know, like, Hey, if that's a conscious choice, great. You know, that's a kind of, if it's, if if it's something that's just kind of happened, maybe there is something to look at around that anxiety um, that Hey, like it, there's a, there could be a message in there about something that's no longer working, or maybe there's yeah. like a new level for you to step into. I would just get curious about that. Isn't it, but isn't life just fucking fascinating when you just put it under the microscope like that? I mean, come on. I could spend the rest of you know the week just putting that underneath the microscope and being like, why am I wired to do this? But that's that's like a whole series. We'll launch our own <laughs> podcast and do that as a fucking series. 
So the number one thing I'm hearing from my guy friends today is that they're trying to get back into dating, approaching women, um, finding ways to make those connections. They're really cautious about it. They feel somewhat castrated, you know, coming off of Me Too and cancel culture being in the air. And we just went through social isolation. Uh, so I think you would be a wonderful person to give a little insight as to like, I, I don't know if it's a fucking pep talk that these dudes are needing or, you know, just a piece of advice. What do you have to say uh, for those guys that are feeling a little reluctant to make the approach? So the first thing I want to say is if you're reluctant to make the approach, I totally understand that, right? Like it's so some of the, the dynamics have changed. Mm. Um, cancel culture is real. Uh, being put on blast is real. Uh, emotions are higher. Uh, more and more women are actually speaking up about how they feel where in the past maybe felt like they didn't have that platform and stage. And I want to celebrate that, right? Like all of that. Um, th th we're, we are actually in a place of progress, I believe, highly. And at the same time, things go too far, right? And, and, and so it can be scary to step up to that line. Second thing is stop whining about it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. <laughs> stop complaining about it. And, and like, you know, if you're throwing your hands up in the air and be like, ah, oh, this is so difficult. Uh, like, you know, I, I try to approach or oh, I try to hold a door. Or I try to offer a drink. And she wants to say, no, stop whining about that. Like mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's um, giving away your power. Instead, let's look at what's in front of you right now, which is, and you were the one who said this last night. I, this is, I think, a beautiful way of putting it is every person, and if we're talking specifically women, um, every woman comes with her own set of rules. Guys, there is no algorithm that you can run anymore that is going to be applicable. It never did work across the board, right? Every woman has a different set of experiences, has a different set of preferences and desires. Here's a great story that I think will help illuminate this. When I was running that discerning dick event series at my co-working facility here in New York City at the assemblage, there was a mixed group of men and women, and we got on the the, the, the topic of consent. Mm -hmm. And as you could in the room, you could start to hear some really impassioned women talking about, I want consent, I don't want consent, this and that. And I said, you know what, let's just stop for a second. How many women in this room absolutely crave having a man be very conscious and articulate about consent? from like, can I touch you to, can I kiss you? Would you like to come home with me? Would you like to be in the missionary position? Like, you know, like kind of really dialing it. Yeah. Half the women in the room raised their hand and said, yes, I would love that. And you know, they were crazy about it. I'm like, great, thank you for that. Where are the women in this room who would be absolutely turned off, like wouldn't want to sleep with this guy, might even shame him or make fun of him or look down on him if he went that route. The other half of the women in the room raised their hands. And when that happened, the guys in the room threw their arms up in the air and they were like, what the fuck are we supposed to do with this? And I said, stop for a second, guys. What I need to say to the women first is, thank you, because every single one of you are right for you, mm -hmm. for you. When you start to stand up, though, and say that this is the way it should be, and you make a blanket statement and tell men that this is how every woman wants it, that's confusing the situation. Because what one guy is going to do is he's going to go in and ask for consent every step of the way. And you know, he's going to do that with you, Laura. And then yeah. you're going to be completely turned off. Yeah. And then I, the guys I talked go, about this last night. Yeah. I know. It, it's, it's exactly. It's not, it's not my, it's not my um, preferred uh, 
formula. I, to me, the every moment, can I now take one step towards you? Can I now put one hand on your thigh? Can I now, <laughs> like that, that to me, no. I, I definitely want to have a discussion on consent. And I want to say like, you know what? We're not doing ass stuff tonight. Right. Like there's, there's definitely the conversation that needs to happen. Yes. But I still want to have some spontaneity in my interaction with someone right. who I do have chemistry with. Exactly. And here's, so, so that brings us to the point of now, so what do guys do now? Guys, what you need to do now is, is like the skills you need to be working on are how do you calibrate to the woman who is standing in front of you, this unique human being, how do you start to ask the questions that can give you information around what are her likes and dislikes? You know, like you could start to ask Laura, I could start to ask Laura questions right now around, hey, I imagine that on some level, like, so Laura, let, let's just maybe even role play this right now, right? Rock on. Okay, cool. So I think I even asked you this question last night, you know, when it comes to things like sexual consent, you know, like, what are the things that you're looking for that would make you feel comfortable and also still feel like there's that passion, there's that chemistry? I love to know what my partner, what gets them off. I love to know that. So it's important for me to know where you may want to go. Uh, and we can, we can play with that together while it's happening. For me, I, I, don't, I don't want this red light, green light every step of the way. Right. But if you're really into handcuffs if you're really into role-playing as human furniture if you're really into like whatever it might be maybe bring that up before we actually get into the act of it there's nothing wrong with talking about sex before you've had sex right bring that up and then if we're comfortable discussing it there you know where we're going to be really comfortable discussing it in the bedroom when we're actually doing it doing it yeah yeah, yeah great and, and and this is like this this leads to another question you guys can ask men can ask is the four words, Dan Savage taught this, right? The, what are you into, right? What are you into? And then also another question could be like, what are your boundaries? Yeah. Right? Like what are, what are some hard lines that we yeah. don't cross? And you know, like uh, I, I know we, we had a conversation with a woman named Lila uh, who runs the Horizontal with Lila podcast. She lived nice. at the Hacienda for years, a sex positive mm -hmm. community that I know you know very well. And yeah. she was like, hey, for me, butt stuff, you know, butt stuff is something that like, if we're going to go there, whether it's your tongue, your fingers, your dick, like yeah. those are kinds of things that like you don't have access to without talking to me about it first. You, you need to, you need to discuss that ahead of time. I can't believe that there are sexual human beings with the tenacity today to just stick a thumb up the ass, but there are <laughs> like that. They'll just do it if they're back there already. And it's like, yeah. excuse me, yeah. that was not discussed. And like, that was not. We, you never brought that to the table. So you don't get to just put it in. Like, that's it. <laughs> I know. Like, that's not. So guys, like you can hear, these are the kinds of questions that, and, and I think maybe we accelerated pretty quickly right to the sexual part of things. Yeah. And, but like, even if you were to back it up and maybe you're at like a bar or something like that, and you're looking to make an approach. I mean, one of the other skills that you need to learn how to develop now is internal toughness, mm -hmm. which means like, start to get ready to be rejected, start to get yeah. ready to have someone turn it down, to turn down your offer. And instead of having like your ego bruised 
and turning it into this what wah moment or women don't understand how hard it is for us to go up and approach. Like I've been through all of that too. Mm -hmm. Instead, maybe like just kind of take away the personal attack or that personal affront and actually look at the information that has been conveyed. And maybe she's saying no to the drink, but maybe there's like a yes to something else. Maybe she's a complete no to you and great. Like now you've stopped wasting your time on this one and you have a chance to go and approach someone else. Like the skill sets, I think that the men who are going to be most successful with dating women now in this, like in this new, in this new world are again, learning how to calibrate to that unique set of, 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 of needs, wants, and desires that that person in front of you has learning how to ask the questions that give you the information learning how to read the body language that also communicates information and developing an internal toughness that like when you face rejection, that you don't blow up at that woman, you don't get angry at her, you don't call her a bitch, you don't call her a whore, you don't call, like, you know, these things that women face all the time. And instead you kind of embrace it as a thank you. Mm-hmm. Like you've given me information, you've helped to teach me now that I can bring that into my next endeavor. And guys, we need to know all of that about you too. Okay, huh. so yeah. do do some of that self-evaluation for yourself. Invest in your own sexual discovery and your own boundaries, your own preferences, because it's going to enrich you as a human being. And just as much as yes, you need to calibrate to us specifically and our unique needs, but we also need to know about yours because Great. that's where the deepest kind of chemistry is is available. That's where like a, the, the ultimate honest approach is available is that you need to have an understanding of those two and be ready to communicate them because we don't want to run into these, you know, collisions with you along the way when we didn't know that this is a soft spot or that this is a hard no. We need to know about that shit too. <laughs> a perfect example of that, Laura, is one of the men in our mastermind, in my mastermind that I run, uh, is this beautiful human being, and he's he 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 attracts a number of women, right? He's he's like a he, he's a very good looking guy, um, smooth. He's also like very deep. One of his sexual challenges in the bedroom was when a woman would get on top, mm. he would lose his erection, and he never knew why. He was actually able, like recently, we helped him to unpack where it came from. One of the benefits of men's work, he found out that like he walked into his parents' bedroom when he was like 11 or 12 years old, his mother was on top and he got shamed for walking in on them. And like, that was kind of like in, in, you know, it was, it was embedded in his DNA. So like we're in a cellular memory. And so anytime a woman would get on top, he would think about that moment, even unconsciously and his erection would leave. He never knew how to communicate that. Hmm. And, you know, like when it would happen, you know, a woman would naturally want to get on top then the erection would leave. She'd think it was something wrong with him or maybe there's something unattractive about her. Whereas like, had he taken your guidance around or had an ability to, to like, you know, to, to go there, he could have then said, hey, there's this thing I'm working through. And when this position happens, you know, like this what is my, what happened, it has nothing to do with you. Can we kind of stay in these other positions until yeah. I feel more comfortable? And most women that I know would welcome that conversation. And the women who don't welcome it, walk away from that. You know what I mean? Like that's, that, that's not a place that's probably healthy for you. Walk away from that person who may be shaming you for something like that. But most women in my experience were, will be like totally down for that. 
fucking is powerful shit. Self-discovery. Invest in yourself. That's like literally moral of the story here, everyone. And with that being said, Dominic, thank you for your time today. Thank you for this conversation. For all the viewers that are listening or watching, how can they get in touch with you and uh, find your podcast and, you know, stay up to date? Yeah, Laura, this was a, a blast. So I would say the number one place to go is come to the Great Man Within podcast. We have 250 episodes. Um, most of it is around like how to live a life of intentionality, how to live a high performance life. And we have a lot of conversations around sex, sexuality. I, I, I think the second and third episodes are about my journey through Sex Addicts Anonymous and how a sex, addicts get ma how a sex addict gets made. Um, so come to the Great Man Within podcast. And then my Instagram handle is at Dominic Q. And if you follow Laura, you can just, you know, go to who she's following and, you know, type in Dominic and I'm right there. Wonderful. Connections will be made. Uh, all of you listening, watching, viewing, please like, favorite, or subscribe to this channel. And uh, join us next time here on Licked and Loaded. The conversation never ends. We'll see you next time. This has been a CAM4 radio production. Come say hi at www.cam4radio.com. <laughs>